Hey, what's up, y'all? We are back. I am back, I should say, for another episode of the Hold That Podcast podcast. Uh, My name is T-Bob Hebert. Um, I am joined, as I am every single week, by my good friend Brody Miller. This is the Athletics LSU podcast. Uh, Go to theathletic.com slash hold that podcast. Get a great sign-up deal. Um, Brody, I missed you last week. I am fresh off the birth of a child. If this is your first time listening, you've caught me at a very good time. Um, I'm a little all over the place, not because I'm overwhelmed or anything, just because, you know, I've just, it was, it, it, it's, it's a hell of a feeling having a kid and it's awesome and it's all consuming and it's wonderful. And it's just been kind of where, uh, where, where I've been, I guess for, the last week uh but mixed within that there was an nfl draft so we'll talk about that today we got a lot to talk about today i'm just gonna welcome in brody brody what's up man how you doing <laughs> i'm doing well but it's it's tricky because normally this part of the show you know you ask me what's up and i usually say something i've been doing over the last few days or something like that and this time i have nothing to add because you brought life yeah. into the world and i have nothing nothing to, I, I i'm getting trumped here i have nothing to really add that's relevant i i had some espresso this morning i don't have much going uh, for uh yeah it's it's been pretty crazy shout out to you say i did and uh while i did my part however short that part you know required of me like a couple minutes whatever it was um big shout out to my wife because uh i just i mean every this is my second child and in my mind, I'm done. You know, I don't know if I'll ever, we'll see what happens, but like just being pregnant is brutal. Having a baby is brutal. Shout out to women. So got a healthy mama, healthy baby. <laughs> We're able to drink together again. We're having fun. Life is, uh, life is good. So yeah, it was really cool. Shout, shout out to women's hospital. So what's her first drink? Um, the first alcohol that she had like, uh, when we got home from the hospital. I think it was a nice bottle of red that we had had set aside, and then I like it. a couple nights later, we had uh, we got a gallon of Superior Margaritas. Now she didn't drink a ton of that because she's still breastfeeding stuff, but she we got a little Superior Margarita and a little white wine. She's been, you know, it's 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 been nice to be able to enjoy uh, those with her again. It's just it's it just it's 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 been a really special week. A lot of emotion. Um, thank you to everyone who reached out. It's it's been awesome seeing the two little girls together. And like I said, mom's healthy and happy. She's an ass kicker. The baby's healthy and happy. So all right. So I got a question. Life is uh, life is good. Yeah. Who I'm curious. Who are you in the delivery room? Like, what's your role there? Are you are you like Nick Collison setting screens, but not really looking for the ball? You're just kind of trying to help. Or are you <laughs> are you like a a big involved like pep talk kind of dad? Like, what's your what's your usage rate in the room? I'm curious. Uh, so the first baby we had this, we did a plan C-section this time, which was pretty fascinating and hyper efficient. Uh, the first baby we, we like waited for a natural delivery, whatever. And then like, you know, like 20 hours of like trying or whatever. And then we ended up as C-section. Um, I am, I would say I am, uh, I, okay. So I, I, I film everything. I have Ah, a steady cam. For my iPhone, and so I'm constantly, um, constantly filming. Uh, I do not 
give advice. Um, I, I do try to encourage and be encouraging and, and be there, but I do not deign to know what like should be done. So I just kind of, I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm just like a, uh, I'm just like a great bench glue guy. Clubhouse um, guy. Someone that guy. everybody on the team likes. Yeah. I, I'm not bringing a ton to the field, but I am shouting words of encouragement to the doctors, the nurses, my wife, your clay Moffitt. everybody. And then even though I was really nervous about this, cause the first time I went through this, I was so overwhelmed. I immediately burst into tears and just broke down. And I didn't know if that was going to happen again this time. Cause like just in the run up, it's completely different. Cause you deal with your first kids. You're not really focusing on the unborn baby as much, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but sure enough, when the baby comes out, I was reduced to a, blubbering mess there's just something innate in human dna that just just breaks you at that moment and it was just uh it was awesome and shout out to women's the 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 plant c-section thing was kind of crazy like in a good way woke up at five we got there at 5 a.m she had epidural by seven and i think we had like a baby by like 7 30 <laughs> it was so wild dude knowing you were about to go have a child and then uh the the last thing i'll say on everything yeah is a little uh quarantine positivity here a little pandemic bonus a a a maybe a hidden benefit a silver lining if you will um no family was allowed at the hospital just the wife the dad and the baby and although maybe i would feel differently with my first kid and although maybe that sounds sad on the surface it was actually one of the chillest experiences ever. <laughs> it just meant that for three days, me, my wife, and the baby got to hang out. Nobody else. I mean, nurses coming in and taking care of you, but like they had great like room service. So you're ordering burgers. They had movies on the TV. I finished my book. Uh, it was just, it was just a really relaxed special kind of three days so if you're out there and you are pregnant during this pandemic maybe you're a little worried um maybe take this as a bit of encouragement because i thought it was actually kind of fantastic and and it's not you know everybody's still going to get to meet the baby it's just on a bit of different timeline and so yeah it was it was great awesome right i appreciate you sharing that and and you know speaking of new beginnings t bob 14 lsu players had their own new beginnings this week how about that? And uh, how's my radio Cody? game segue? I mean, was that was that, that was half great. decent? Okay. That was great. Well, it was until you called attention to it, but um, uh, you know that kind of defeats the entire. You bring up your own segues every segue. time you make one. Every time you're wow. like, "How about that okay. segue?" Check the tape. Show me once, because <laughs> uh, I don't think I've ever said that. And I think you call out my segues more than I do. You Fair are enough. where I'm trying to build bridges. You're just blowing them up. See, I think um, I'm hyping you're, you're, you up. I'm like, I'm your clubhouse guy. I'm your like, well, that was a hell of a segue. <laughs> cut, cut my belly open and pull this segue from me. I'm sick <laughs> of carrying it around. Uh, look, LSU draft picks. This yes. court, so you're not wrong. Um, there's a Cody Worsham tweet. It's speaking of new beginnings where he pointed out that uh, these draft picks are set to sign contracts worth $124 million. In total value, $59 million in signing bonus alone. Joey Burrow getting four years, 36, fully guaranteed. So, yes, Brody. Um, oh, sorry, I had to burp. 
Good burp. The lives changed. Uh, The lives changed for a lot of players last week. What were your overall thoughts? Maybe not even on just the LSU players, though we could go there first, but just in the the kind of quarantine draft itself. Yeah, I mean, I think a few things stood out. I discussed a little bit of it with Andy Staples on it, filling in for you last week a little bit. But I think, okay, first off, obviously the LSU stuff, right? Five first-rounders, 10 in the first three rounds, 14 total. I mean, either tying or breaking pretty much every record. But what what jumped out to me was, and I can't tell if this is, I don't know what this means, but I left that draft and I was like looking down every single draft class, and I, I, I think I pointed out like 17 or 18 out of 32 that I'm like, I think they nailed it, which is not a feeling I've, I normally have in the draft. And I wonder if that's one, just like me buying into like groupthink and thinking these are good picks, or, or maybe because there was less pro days and all of these other shenanigans going on, teams actually like overthought stuff less and maybe but and you might not even agree this might just be me but I felt like there was a really long list of teams who nailed it and that that's just not normally how I feel I don't know interesting see I don't I I just got to be completely honest here I do not busy follow well but even even in in any given year I don't um oh I don't follow or study the draft ever to have like opinions on whether or not this team did a good job. And now I'm going to go full Brody Miller on you. Let's do it. Um, I I actually think that the idea of like assigning grades to teams post-draft is a bit absurd. (laughs) That is full Brody Miller. I mean, it is, right? Is it not? I feel like I've I've just stolen some sort of take that's buried in your brain. (laughs) But, But, you know, I mean, we talk about all the time. Talent evaluation can be so sketchy. You never know who's hits and who doesn't. And and look, I understand that there are like egregious examples where you think, man, that's really like off the wall pick. But I can almost always do the mental gymnastics Absolutely. to see how somebody arrived at where they did. And and now now looking at draft grades, you know, two years later. That's helpful. Three yeah. years later, that's fascinating because then you really see who's hitting consistently. Like when I, because you know the Saints, for instance, they go their, their whole mantra is right, quality over quantity. And so I was like, well, that only works if you actually trust the front office. Exactly. Well, if you go look at the Saints' recent drafts, they have killed it. So it's like, okay, you know, there's there's uh, there's 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 reason to believe in that. But the only reason why I know they've killed it is because I've seen those picks go on to be consistent and do well. So while well, I get the great thing, I guess I don't know. I my enjoyment of the draft was much more surface level. It was like. It was watching Roger Goodell, I think, fully embrace his character. Um, there is no doubt to me that Roger Goodell is in on the bit. Like, yeah, the whole turning around to pump up the Zoom crowd to every pick was like, it, I mean, it was straight out of an SNL skit. It was, it was unbelievable. The skull. Skull, or it's like, hey, come on. Or like by hey, hour on, three, Philly. him just chilling on the couch, leaning back, and it's like, all right, he's in on it. <laughs> this is this is your first pick. Come on, get it up. Let's hear it. And then he turns and like clearly reads off a teleprompter. He had the boo joke at the beginning. So I mean, like watching Goodell's. To me, I thought it was just very funny, almost like satire the entire time. Um, watching the various coaches set up. From Zach Taylor's super humble, almost like Hovenly set up to them, and obviously just the Cliff Kingsbury ultimate flex, Zimmer with the Mountain Lodge. Um, yeah. Even Bill Belichick's, Bill Belichick's setup felt so patriot 
because it's not that like Zach Taylor's just looked kind of sloppy. Bill Belichick's kitchen area that he was in looked humble, but it still looked nice. It did its job. And you, you also know is it, yeah, it did its job, and then it, isn't it all? Yes, it did its job with minimal ostentation, right? And then, but but underneath it all, isn't he in like the Hamptons or something? He's in like some super nice place yeah. where you know that real estate's crazy, and so much like the Patriots, despite the kind of humble demeanor, the lunch pails thing that they try to give off. You know, they've got all the rings, they've got all the money, they're they're kind of glitz and glamoury. So I just thought that it was really funny watching these. Uh, and then you got Vrabel with just the like trolling shenanigans. It, it it was almost like some of these coaches had a lot of. You had Sean Payton uh trolling the nfl the nfl gave out very explicit messages about the sponsors that were uh supposed to be allowed to be displayed and sean payton like put i think it was like an orange crush can out there that wasn't allowed so i've got a candy that wasn't allowed so it was a lot of the coaches kind of projecting themselves onto their draft setups and uh i don't know i just i i i I really enjoyed it and that's not even getting into all the player interactions uh, from their home setups as well. So I, I will admit I enjoyed that part of it. It was a little bit fun. And I, I enjoyed kind of studying which families, you know, this might be a little messed up, but I'm basically, I spent half of that draft studying like which families seem happy. You know, like, all right, that are you forcing that kid to sit with you for every pick? Like, is, does your kid actually want to sit there? You're like, hey, no, I need this shot of you with me. Or they're the ones where it's like, I think they're happy. Like, I'm, I, I, made, I made my girlfriend Claire sit with me for a lot of it, and I'd be like, do you, do you think they're happy? Like, yeah, I don't know. Like, there's the whole thing with Thomas Dimitrov and his kid. And that, I mean, like, I don't know. Like, they, bro, like, what was that? I know. I don't want to. Like, you know, everyone that, probably has moments where was six seconds and all over that pick. That pick and look, I know, but just the editing of it and it's live. It was amazing. So no, it was like nefarious. But the kid legitimately looked like he was shitting on his father's pick in front of him. And I know that. And, and the funny part Toughest is, like, critic. Falcons fans, like Falcons fans, weren't actually happy with the pick either so Dimitrov's own kid abandoned him in in the face of the very fan base that he was trying to please oh, interview Arthur so Blank fantastic. and he's just like that was the moment I knew Dimitrov was gonna not gonna make it this year <laughs> that was it when his own son but I gotta say it's, it's good to hear that you're not necessarily a draft guy because the draft is I think the NBA and NFL drafts are two of my four or five favorite sports days of the whole year every year I mean since I was like oh a wow kid, they're like that's my day and I think it's probably more because I get most into the team building aspects of, of sports and the strategy and the front office stuff. I think that's what I, I love most. But I mean this is like my this is my Super Bowl. So this was obviously this was obviously the most hyped draft ever just in terms of the context and we all needed sports and all that. But and you know, you did kind of steal my, my, my mindset on the grades, but the thing that I always get most angry about is and I'll use this example is you know, I, I happen to be friends with a lot of Eagles fans because I'm from that area and whatnot and <laughs> everyone what, and it goes to what you're saying about like the grades are silly because you don't really know the situation or how people value them. It was amazing to watch. You never like people don't understand that you don't know what an NFL team's board is. You think this player is better probably because you've been reading on mock drafts for months that this yes, player is better. Exactly. But, like first off, I'm not, I would have picked Austin Jefferson over Jalen Rager. Like sure, of course I would have. But that, what do I know? But even aside from that, they were livid, and John probably knows this, our, our producer, is that like they were so angry and like wanted to fire Howie Roseman for not being able to trade up for CeeDee Lamb. And that just like, it boggles my mind because the amount of 
you don't know the context. Like, how do you know they weren't trying like crazy to trade up? You know, for example, you weren't going to trade up ahead of 13 or probably. The Bucks didn't take somebody. The Niners weren't going to. And then the, everyone knew the Broncos were going to take a receiver. So you're not going to get beat them for 15. Maybe the yeah. Falcons, and you weren't going to get from the Cowboys because they obviously took CeeDee Lamb and they're your rival. They're not going to trade with you. So really, maybe your only chance is the Atlanta Falcons. And then maybe the Falcons were asking for like two first rounders. Maybe they weren't reasonable. You know, like people just kind of assume that like you should have been able to trade up and it boggles my mind. And then they just torch the Rager pick when it's like. Maybe the Super Bowl winning front office actually thinks he's better. Have you ever considered that? I, I don't know. The point is you need to just kind of like suspend your confidence and be like, hey, maybe I trust them. I don't know. Well, no, I mean, look, it's it's that's how you end up in a world where the Saints trade four draft picks to get Adam Troutman because they had, you know, they feel they already got a strong roster. They feel that they don't have like, you know, it's going to be hard to make this team no matter what. So they want to do a pure quality, right? And on their board, this is what they're saying publicly, which – you know, whatever. If you want to be cynical yeah. and say they're lying, you can. Uh, I don't think they're, but it doesn't matter. Um, they're saying that those three players were in their top 40. And, and yeah, that's a board that maybe doesn't agree with the next coaches' boards or the consensus mock draft opinion. So, I mean, that's, that, that, that's my thing, though, right? And that kind of goes back to why I have trouble sitting here and, like, being like, what's going on? What are they doing? Is that... This is literally their entire job. So all they do is watch film and study and talk to like PIs and all these other things. And like, I, you know, I'm maybe reading like Mike Detillier, what he says about this guy, a little, a little Kuiper here, a little McShay there. Like, I can't sit here and pretend like I'm more of a, more of an expert. I like to wait. Okay. So just, just a little side tangent here. Yeah. That since we're on the Eagles, um, when you look at the Saints taking Tommy Stevens in the seventh, they did not take Tommy Stevens to be a quarterback. They have legitimately taken him to be a like backup Taysom Hill, which to me, I'm wondering if the Saints are almost treating that Taysom Hill position like a nickelback, right? So now you almost have like 12 starters on the offense. You take Tommy Stevens, you can throw him into the special teams, cut down Hill there, and then he can you know theoretically back up Hill. Are the Saints kind of and then and then I look at uh, where did Lynn Bowden from Kentucky end up getting drafted? Third round uh, to the Raiders, I believe, or maybe second round. Okay, so the Raiders, another very creative offensive mind, another guy that could be threatening in similar ways. Do they see what Sean Payton's doing with Taysom Hill? Do they try to emulate that? Does Philly try to emulate that with Hurts? Do they bring him in as a pure quarterback? Um, these are questions that I'm 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 fascinated to see. Maybe the only thing that gives me pause is that why Taysom Hill works is because he's just a freak athlete and he's arguably more athletic than all those guys. But but what do you think? Like, how will Jalen Hurts be used in Philly? Are we seeing a new almost kind of H-back being created? Yeah, so I have mixed thoughts on this because, one, you'd have to have an incredible amount of faith that he can do that and we don't know that it's like using a second round pick on some suggestion that we could make you know a team could maybe use him like that it just seems like a leap but even on top of that I mean so again Eagles group chat so I've had the I've been doing a lot of like mental gymnastics like you're saying to to try to make them feel better about this pick even if I don't agree with it but I think the part that makes it silly is the Eagles defense of this is like we're, uh, I think their quote was like, we're in the business of developing quarterbacks. And that's like what we do as a franchise, and that's who we are. But like, what's your point there? Is that 
what you're saying that maybe you can develop Jalen Hurts to be a really good quarterback and then like deal him someday. Well, you're not getting anything better than a second round pick for that anyway, at, at best. So it's like this idea that what you're taking a risk on this quarterback to maybe develop him into something that could at best scenario be a second rounder. And if I want to do the mental gymnastics and defend that, that the value spot is okay. Maybe you're mixing three factors that one Carson Wentz gets hurt a lot, right? I don't think he's had a full season yeah. his whole career. So you're saying, all right, you're picking him to be a backup quarterback in a franchise that that's like a really important position, as you've learned with them. They want a Super Bowl that way. So maybe they view that. They think he can actually be a stud. They can use him, and then they can use him like a Taysom Hill. So, yeah, I mean, a backup quarterback makes, what, $3 million in the NFL? So you, say, say you're using a $3 million of whatever his salary is to be a backup at the quarterback, and then a few other million of that is maybe to be used in these other roles like a – you know, like a Taysom Hill, then maybe you're getting your money's worth, but it just feels like such a, a leap in logic. But maybe we'll look back on this in 10 years and be like, wow, they were playing chess while we are playing checkers, but it just made no sense to me. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I just can't. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I suppose <laughs> it's because I believe that Doug Peterson is ballsy and is creative yeah. as a coach like Peyton is. And because of everything you just said, like Carson Wentz's injury history, while it's true – it still doesn't necessarily justify picking him here. And so I don't know. We'll see, man. Maybe I almost feel like you have to get creative with that sort of athlete. Otherwise, you're kind of wasting him. Don't forget, Jalen Hurts is like a power lifter, right? Doesn't he squat yes. like 700 pounds or something? Yeah, I mean, like, no, he's ridiculous. And I think he'd be an amazing special teams player. And, and yeah, I think you can do a lot of great stuff with him. So I'm with you. Yeah, pay that man and then get creative. Let him play. Uh who knows? Uh, I want to see what Tommy Stevens is going to do with the Saints in that role. Yeah, that one was a little more confusing, especially. If, but then, like, that's an example. Well, so though. that's what I thought, though. And then I was talking about old man, and he's like, "No, don't even think about Tommy Stevens throwing a forward pass. Like, the, it, he is literally not there to be a quarterback. He yeah, is makes there sense. to be a Taysom Hill backup." And that is an example of I think you just have to like, when it's a franchise like the Saints doing it. Unfortunately, you do just kind of have to like take a step back and realize the last 14 years have shown me that they know what they're doing more than I know anything about football. So maybe just take a step back and assume they have some sort of plan with this. And I think they're they're kind yeah. of now in that. Yeah. It's such a good like, They're probably like, in that realm of, you know, like when the oh, wait, Warriors do something. Headphones fell off. I can't hear you. Hold on. You're okay, good. Sorry. You're good. No, I'd compare it to like when the Warriors, you know, they they bring in like some knucklehead player and everyone's like, Are you sure about that? And they're like, We know how to rein him in or when they take some chance on somebody, you're like, Really? Like I think the Saints are kind of they're not the Warriors, but they're in that realm now of all right, maybe I'll just have faith that they're smarter than us. I mean it's a good point, right? Uh Sean Payton knows good quarterback play. It's not like he watched Tommy Stevens play quarterback and was like, oh, man, there's a lot there. (laughs) We we can do something with this. Uh, But he did see Tommy Stevens is now claiming to be 250 right now. Jeez. And he's saying he ran a 4-5, you know, for whatever that's worth. Uh, So, all right. And, you know, Tommy Stevens was an Indiana football quarterback commit, you know, and – Decommitted about a week oh, until signing day, but I don't want to talk about it. I'm not, it's not a big deal. What a punk, dude. Oh, my God. Mm. <laughs> you know, Mm-mm. I don't want to talk about it. He, he did say, you know, his, during his commitment, he said, I don't want to be somebody's second choice. I want to be somebody's first choice. And then literally Brandon Wimbush got stolen from Penn State, and then he literally was Penn State's second choice and went to them. <laughs> but I'm not saying I remember that eight years later. I'm not saying pulling, I do. You're pulling a less miles here. He didn't have the chest. To go to Indiana. 
Uh, Could have built wait, something. Let, speaking of Miles, let's get back to LSU. All right, all right. Uh, 14 picks. That, now that Tan's just done. Um, five in the first round. Any surprises there, Brody? Uh, for whatever it's worth, it's worth nothing. Um, uh, I, I only have this proof in text form, but I was just pleased with myself. <laughs> I said that these five were going to get drafted in the first round, and sure enough, 32 overall, Clyde Edwards-Alaire sneaking in there, knocked off my five. Yeah, I mean, I actually, you know, there was a bet out there. You know, it was, yeah, I think it was like plus 200 or plus 250 for LSU over under, you know, it would have been plus 240 for over five and a half in the first. And yeah. I actually suggested to a friend to take the over because, one, it was good value. But it, it was because, okay, you knew the four guys, right? And then I actually heard from somebody in LSU who, like, you know, was very involved with, like, talking to teams, like, about, you know, valuations and things. And they were saying, like, they actually thought Grant Delpit was actually going to go first round. And then at that point, you're just playing a numbers game where it's like, all right, if you feel good about five, maybe one team that is in a luxury position just loves Edward Solaire, or maybe somebody just really needs a center and they think Cushenberry's the best one. Like, I could have seen it being over. So my guess was five, and I just had a gut feeling it was going to be six. So I'm actually wrong about that. But yeah, I mean, the biggest surprise has to be Clyde Edward Solaire, right? Because I don't think I saw anybody really project him to the Chiefs. And then all of a sudden, it's this idea of just. Could you imagine a better place for him to go? I, I, I just genuinely can. It's like he just went from like the fourth running back on most mock draft boards to now he's the number three offensive rookie of the year odds. Like, that, what does that tell you? you? So it's you the perfect know it's, fit. Yeah, that, that's the Pat Mahomes and Andy Reid effect, right? Um, you, you know, it's crazy, and I don't know who said this. I just know that like weeks ago, Jordy told me that uh, he talked to someone I can't remember who, and that like. Kansas City loved Clyde or whatever. And uh, lo and behold, here we are. Now, you hear a million of those things. It was just funny to see one of them maybe actually have some accuracy to it. I don't know, though. Even when, like like I said, when I when we were so in this group text or whatever, we're getting in our final predictions, I felt like Clyde was going first round just because, almost like a Patrick Queen, I just felt that he like represented exactly what you want out of that position in the modern NFL, like a true three-down back, uh, run between the tackles, can run routes. Um, either way, whatever. It doesn't matter about predicting who's right or who's wrong. But Clyde getting in there at 32, uh, queen to the Ravens. Um, I know a lot of Saints fans were <laughs> very upset. The Saints passed on Patrick Queen. I'm sure Queen would have loved it, but Queen's got to be excited to go to Baltimore. Like, what better – place to be playing middle linebacker than for the Baltimore Ravens no it, I mean yeah as much as the Saints would have been good and I mean like we said the Saints know how to run an organization like I honestly if you ask me to say what if you like before any mock drafts or anything came out hey what's the best place for Patrick Queen to go I think my answer would have I, I feel confident my answer would have been the Baltimore Ravens they have an opening they're one of the best in the NFL at developing these guys they're the best drafters so it just kind of kind of goes back to what we were saying when certain teams draft somebody it just kind of like confirms your own mental evaluation you're like oh if they like him then I was probably right yeah and it's like the Ravens picking him it's like okay they see what I saw you know so I really just can't think of a better organization for him to grow in we also know that Patrick Queen we but like is one of the highest character guys in the entire program so you know that that's probably a perfect fit so I mean yeah I think they're a team that has clearly been a little ahead of some other teams with modernizing right their offense finally modernized and they realize and their defense I think and this is proof of that is realizing that defenses need to modernize and realize you need to just purely be about speed and stopping the pass. That needs yeah. to be every yeah. posi- every Straight player up. on your team needs to be about that. 
Patrick Queen, I think he has coverage work to do. I think he needs to get better at that, but he's one of the best. Wait, wait I thought that was actually one of his strengths, though. His coverage, I mean, some of the PFF coverage numbers are him are pretty damn impressive. Like, I well, don't think I'll just go, I, I, catch over 15 yards in all, like, all year. Interesting. Right? Okay. In then, no, no, yeah, I was more basing the, my, me saying that I'll, I'll admit it is off uh, the Athletics Bob McGinn series of breaking down every position, which was incredible, him talking to personnel experts and all that. Bob and McGinn, one of the things more like Bob McOut. Hey. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's my cup. <laughs> I couldn't think of anything clever to say that. It's a terrible joke. But no, and, and a lot of the NFL evaluators were actually saying to him, like, yeah, like they're not sure about his coverage. Oh, but okay. even aside from that, yeah, no, but I think the point you need to keep in mind, though, is he had only been a starter for one year, so like he was very new to that. And I think I think what probably the Ravens love is he's such an athlete that, I mean, if I imagine if you teach him coverage better, he would be an amazing coverage guy because he is one of the fastest linebackers in the country. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I actually, I, I think his coverage ability or what it will eventually grow to be is the reason why exactly he got drafted in that first round, as you said. Justin Jefferson, the Vikings, uh, no surprise there. I love the Jefferson family, LSU royalty in my mind. Love the fact that now they have one of theirs go uh, first round overall. Good for Kirk Cousins, um, especially with Stephon Diggs leaving. Pair him up with Thielen. I think that's a home run. Caleb Onda, the Jaguars, makes a lot of sense. They lose Clyde Campbell. Got to replace him. And then, of course, Burrow to Cincy. Uh, if I'm, It sounds like I'm rushing to these first-round guys. It's just because I kind of feel like we've talked them to death. Like, anything yeah. else to add on any of these guys before we get into some of the later picks? Well, I think the thing I want to say, my takeaway from the first round, probably the number one thing I wanted to talk about today is simply that I just think there's something fascinating going on with this record-setting draft class, right? And it's that... You look at, okay, 14 guys taken, 10 the first three rounds, five in the first round. Four of those picks, first round picks, were ranked outside of the top 250 in the country in their respective draft, yeah. in their respective recruiting class. So none of those guys were big recruits. And then Delpit and Fulton were pretty big recruits, but then Damian Lewis was a zero star at a high school and only a three star Juco kind of guy. Lloyd Cushenberry, who was, I think, the second center, third center picked in the draft, he was in the 2000s, I believe. You know, So it's actually just kind of when you – I think six of those top ten guys were all not big recruits or anything like that. And it makes this class just so fascinating when you talk about recruiting and development and all these things. I know you talked about with Ogeron on your show and all that, but I think that is the big story that has to come out of this draft for LSU is that – you, you you look at that 2017 class, and the hit rate on it is off the charts with the top guys and the lower guys. But for this many non-big recruits to be top picks is just kind of unprecedented. Yeah, and it's it, you know it's encouragement to anybody out there who is maybe a bit frustrated, like if you're a kid listening and you're not playing as much, or or things aren't going like you know you just you just got to keep working. It, it's like everybody's watching that. Bulls documentary right now and it's like when MJ doesn't make the varsity team and his mom's like hey you just got to work harder like that's what these guys did it's a credit to LSU for developing and I feel like the development angle is something that they're really like they understand the value there in getting that message out there because it's a word that keeps popping up with people that I talk to from different facets of the program like when we talked to Jack Marucci today on my radio show about Character and the metric that I know you've written about in the past that he created this character metric to judge teams by. And he was um, not, not quite forming a link uh, explicitly, but 
seem to be, you know, that 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 high character guys have that potential to develop as well because maybe high character guys take coaching, et cetera, et cetera. So just it is a um, it's a huge it's a huge boon to LSU now getting out there on the recruiting trail and saying like, look, if you trust in us, we can put you in the position to accomplish your your dreams. And and like I said, Pat, like like Patrick Queen, dude, he wasn't even starting at the beginning of the year. That is the most frustrating thing as a player. I don't care how old you are. If you're in elementary school, junior high, whatever, like not playing sucks. It's the worst. And look at him now. He's a first round pick. So if you ever get frustrated, just 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 try to uh stay positive and I guess keep working. It sounds cheesy, but it's a lot of a lot of truth there. Um, no, I mean, you're right. I mean, I had a story up today, and the focus was, I mean, and I talked to people in the recruiting department, and they're saying, like, their literal theme to every recruit this week is development. Yeah. That is the okay, thing they're so driving home. <laughs> and the thing they're also driving home is because then people like me are making a big deal out of the, the non-huge recruits that are you know being developed. But the thing they're also selling is they're also succeeding with their big recruits, which is also a, th- a huge thing to drive home. Yeah. It's not like they want to build a class full of all three stars. Is that if you look at the 2016 and 17 recruiting classes, which are the two classes that were pretty much in this draft, they signed four or five stars, right, they, in between those two. Christian Fulton, Richard Lawrence, Caleb Von Chason, and Jacoby Stevens. Huh. Well, Fulton went second yeah. round. Lawrence went fourth round. Chason went first round, obviously, which was – and that's the first major guy that Ojan ever got. And then Jacoby Stevens is back to be a you know he'll probably be an All SEC guy this year in college football. So I think they're also driving home that they're they're succeeding on both ends of the spectrum. And and the line that one person used to me, which I found interesting, was you look at the last four NFL drafts, the first running back chosen came from LSU two of the last four four years, Leonard Fournette, Clyde Edwards-Helaire, and they they love using that example because it highlights the the two biggest polar opposite players. Right, yeah. one is the most physically perfect recruit we've seen in decades and probably the biggest sure thing we saw in a long time at least at LSU and he went first round and then you see Clyde Edwards Lair is a five foot eight three star who wasn't even supposed to start this year and he went first round and that's what they're selling yeah and so it's it's a hell of a sale job and strike while the iron's hot you know the brand is strong right now it's talked about constantly during this draft 14 players 10 in the first three rounds um I mean we could we I was thinking about, I was toying with the idea of like getting into fits and in their respective NFL teams, but like, I don't see anything and think that guy doesn't fit, right? I, I mean, I don't know. That, that, that's, <laughs> that's how they were drafted there. So, congrats to everybody. Um, I, I guess we'll run down the rest of the list just for posterity's sake. In round two, you had Grant Delp at 44 overall to Cleveland, Christian Fulton 61 to Tennessee. The 69th pick, Damian Lewis, went to Seattle. That was round three. Also round three, you had Lloyd Cushberry to Denver. Also round three, Jacob Phillips to the Browns. Round four, Richard Lawrence to Arizona. Round four, Sadiq Charles to Washington. Round six, Blake Ferguson to Miami. And finally, round seven, Stephon Sullivan to the Seahawks. And there's a great video that uh, Bleach Report, I don't know where the original source is, but they tweeted out, and it's Stephon Sullivan getting the call, and it's just really special and awesome and a lot of positive emotion but um man just reading that list was a bit exhausting and and brody what what else this draft did to me was it uh well it was a celebration it does call into focus the extreme amount of talent that is leaving lsu and uh, i'd be lying if i said that it maybe wasn't a little disconcerting for uh, my my little tiger heart, 
Like, I wonder, I wonder how many fans are on the other side of this. Like, oh shit! Like, there really, there really were a lot of good players on this team last year. Yeah, and I mean, it's kind of you know, Ogeron got celebrated literally just a year ago for like finally getting some of those underclassmen to stay, right? And it was like a huge talking point that like LSU finally you know gets away from this bad trend of everyone leaving early. Got guys like you know Lawrence, Fajoko, Fulton. You know, I'm forgetting more, but all these guys to stay. Well, it's like, yeah, there's a price to pay for that, and it means that the next year's class is going to be this massive departure. So that's kind of how this works. And, yeah, I mean, it's no secret that LSU is going to be less talented next year. They're going to be talented, sure. They're recruiting at a high level, all those things. They have they have probably two first-rounders on the roster for next season. But, yeah, I mean, you, you're losing your entire offensive line except one guy and, and all five five different offensive linemen. Even the backup got picked up by NFL teams. Like, So you're losing five NFL guys on the offensive line. You're losing – ridiculous amount in your set in your back seven all these things like yeah it's gonna sting and you're losing the number one pick in joe burrow i mean it's not there's not much to add there it's pretty yeah. simple and, and straightforward but yeah it's gonna be a huge huge loss also uh since but it, it will help probably develop future classes so well uh, yeah i mean you can always just it's it's just it, it is gonna be that um hey coach oh i asked him this exact question on the show the other day and, and he talked about it. it's like yeah you know it's one thing to create success it's another to sustain it and we're gonna figure out if staying. He did though. He did make a point, and you know, obviously, he's got to he's got to sell the vision here. Uh, but he did make a point of being like, you know, we're we're still pretty damn talented. And he talked about like Stingley and Jamar Chase, and and basically the biggest question mark is the offensive line. And his answer to that was he trusts in James Craig. And when yeah. you look at what James Craig got has big old done race. with a. You know, a constantly shifting offensive line through James Craig's years. Like, I would love to see the amount of different lineups that they have put, the amount of different starting lineup computations that James Craig has dealt with. And then they've won a lot of games in those years. So, um, you, you know, who he was real high on too when kind of trying to calm some of the O line consternation. He said that. Um, Oh, why am I blinging right now? Who's going to be left? Oh, that Dare Rosenthal was dominating during bowl practice. Went went out of his yeah, way I mean, to say big. that Rosenthal was like throwing guys around, and so he basically went ahead and named Dare as like the, he's going to be the left tackle. And and the big thing to take from there is because we always right we always assumed uh, if if eligible Dare Rosenthal is the starting left tackle. Yeah. We always knew that, but. But what's big is that he said on your show that, yeah, I mean, it looks like everything's getting settled and he's going to be back. Because just to remind our listeners, Dare Rosenthal was just, was off the team for the spring. Like, obviously, there wasn't really a spring, but that was going to be, like, the big storyline was the left tackle was gone. And Ogeron was kind of, like, vaguely confident that he's going to get settled and it's going to be back by summer. But we didn't know what to make of that. And you never know how to feel good about that. So for him to pretty much stay on your show, and, and I, I confirmed afterwards to other people that, yeah, I mean, it looks like he is going to be back and good to go for this this season. Yeah, I mean he's a freak talent, six foot eight, I believe, right? Huge left tackle. He is like what you draw up in a lab, perfect left tackle. And he's, I mean, he got playing time as a redshirt freshman and played a decent amount this season, so he has some experience. I mean, he should be maybe Ed Ingram's their best lineman, but he should be their second best lineman this season if he's eligible Damn. and all that. So that's huge. And then James Craig was also saying um, on LSU 60's radio show last night that you know he's been actually surprisingly impressed with Cameron Wire. And Cameron Wire oh, is a similar okay. kind of mold. 
And well, and to an extent, right? Yeah. I think, but Wire's a guy who was a very similar mold as Rosenthal, where they were both these massive. Because Wire, I believe, is six six or six seven as well, and is just kind of this really good athlete, perfect tackle. But he just had to learn a ridiculous amount, and I think had a, came a long way. But this spring, I think Craig said that he saw the the flip kind of switch, and he saw him looking, and he think he projects that he'll be the the Bedara Traore kind of swing tackle this year, which you need, right? They learned that the hard way this year. They really needed that. So I think that's big. And there's a reason James Craig just got a big raise and is making, I believe, an average of $675,000 now going forward is because, which aside from coordinators and Linehan, I believe makes him the highest, you know, he's the highest position coach, let's put it that way, on the staff. And there's a reason because of what he's done the last two years. You know, he's getting paid more than a, a Corey Raymond, for example, who's a bigger name and all those things, and that's why. And uh, yeah, so we'll 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 have to see, right? And like we said, you know, take take all that with a grain of salt because like they're not going to get out there and say, God, our line is fucked. But they're also, you know, they're, they're in the past. I will say this: Ocean's not been one to completely BS. If he thinks he's been like worried about a position, he's been like, yeah, look, somebody has to step up. And uh, so only. Only time will tell. Uh, well, what I'd say is that I think numbers. the takeaway is because Ogeron was pretty blunt in February and March that LSU needed to get better on the O-line, and he was talking about the transfer portal and all those things. Well, I think my takeaway as of right now would be because of everything going on, because there wasn't spring ball, because, the, quite frankly, the offensive line market and the grad transfer market just isn't very good, I don't think they really have options. <laughs> no, and there's nobody... As of now, yeah, it looks like fair. they'd be that perfect fit. So I wonder if there's a little bit of like, hey, this isn't working. All right, we're going to revert back to, all right, we love our guys. You know what I'm saying? De- no, definitely possible. Definitely possible. Um, and and ultimately, we won't know the answers until we see people back on the field. Uh, other, ant- other numbers that I found pretty fascinating, I read an ESPN article breaking down. Um, just, you know, kind of interesting things. Uh, the SEC... Six of the top ten picks overall, forty players in the first three rounds from the SEC. The Big Ten, Pac-12, and Big Twelve had forty-one combined, and then the SEC has now gone six straight years having at least fifty or more players taken. They had sixty-three taken this year. Uh, it, it's just absurd. The SEC feels more and more just like. You know, like almost like NFL AAA, and then and then how about this? Uh, LSU and Alabama combined for twenty three draft picks. So you had uh, so somebody looked up all the positions where everybody's drafted. You could almost make up a full twenty two player starting lineup. The only draft pick they needed one more guard drafted, and you could have had a full eleven on eleven draft picks just from those two teams. Like. It, Watching what these guys go on to the NFL, I think you're going to look back, LSU fans will, just continue to look back on that game at Bryant-Denny Stadium and just realize how incredible it was, the talent on the field, and what a special night that was. I mean, it's just stupid the amount of talent in the SEC right now. And I forget what the stat was, and I don't have it in front of me, but I remember after the first two rounds, I think it was like one out of every five players picked was in that game. It was one. Out, I think it was like 18. Jesus of, Christ. It was off the charts. It was. I, for, I wish I had it in front of me, but it was absurd the number of how many LSU and Alabama players in those first few rounds. And, yeah, I think I think the big takeaway is as much as anyone wants to – and I don't blame people for being like SEC biased or SEC's overrated and all those things, but 
if you want proof, okay, you, first you can prove the SEC is probably the better conference just by just top to bottom production on the football field over the last few years, right? National championships aside yeah. from Clemson, all those things. But then this is like the further proof is that when NFL teams are trying to make their living on picking, which player do you want to bet on? They choose SEC players over any conference by a drastic margin. So I think it's just the, the further confirmation that this isn't like a biased thing. I went to Big Ten school, man, but I just think it's pretty clear the SEC is more talented and better. Well, and and you know what's interesting? You know, it's a, you know, it's just a copycat league. And look, I did say that six years in a row, over 50 players have been taken to the conference, so maybe this is just an idiotic take. But I do remember a lot of jokes being made about how the Chiefs were basically like an SEC West team. Like the Chiefs kept taking SEC players, kept taking SEC players, and I wonder if uh, some of their kind of team-building philosophy has started to rub off. I, you know, I can't go any further with that. <laughs> off the top of the thought, thought of my head, just some food for thought as you uh, go into your day. Um, yeah, Brody, I mean, for me, that was, I guess that, that, that was it. The draft was a nice respite from the, the pandemic doldrums. It was really fun having sports on in the background. Um, it was really fun watching all the highlight tapes of everybody. Just making me realize how much I actually miss football. Uh, like I said, I loved all these human interactions. You got to see the CD Lamb phone grab, which has been talked to death, so that's why we didn't bring it up. But it's just still an all-timer. The mom throwing the girlfriend out of the way. There's another one that didn't get as much hype where the mom, like, you could tell, like, all the friends are trying to get in there, and the mom was like, yeah, I'm like, back the fuck up. Like, get back. Uh-uh. You ain't, like, stay your ass over there. It's just, it was, uh, the, the, the NFL did good. I, I, I really I really think that um, that is, as, as, as someone who's in very, you know, whatever, I host a local morning radio show, minor production, right? And I see how quickly that can even become complicated and, like, not work and it's like it's just it's like hurting cats or something the level of production that espn put on for this thing was nothing short of astounding and they nailed it they really nailed it so congrats to everybody at espn i thought the uh the broadcast was fantastic all right last thing we'll go out on just real quick which lsu player i guess relative to expectations do you think will have the best career go best career I mean from where I sit I think that I use so the relatives expectations is basically thrown in there to cross Burrow off the list right not necessarily I just think if Burrow Burrow would have to like Burrow has to like be a superstar yeah yeah, he's got to like win a Super Bowl and stuff, right? I mean, so yes. like, I, I, I don't know, I don't know. So we'll we'll, we'll cross him off. Um, I really like Patrick Queen in Baltimore, and I really like Clyde in Kansas City because the fit. But just glancing at the list, I guess the name that's kind of popping out to me would be Grant Delpit. Okay, um, just because it's it's such a what have you done for me lately type of like mindset football is a lot of times that Grant's image took such a hit over this last year that maybe it's hard to recall how how good he was and uh and and I think like fully healthy freshly motivated right too that's thing you can't discount here these elite athletes are so 
crazy with how they carry these kind of motivational chips on their shoulders. Like, Grant Delpit's going to be one of those guys where I feel like he'll be talking about for years, like, I should have been in the first round. You know, it's like you hear, like, like, like Brady or somebody complaining about being a seventh round pick, and it's like, how do you even care anymore at this point? But or sixth round pick, whatever it was. But but they kind of do, and so I don't know. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go Grant Delpit there. All right, then I'll I'll make it quick. I'll go Patrick Queen for pretty much the reasons you said. I, I actually would have picked him over Burrow. I, I just I feel like I'm very confident he will be a Pro Bowl player for a long time. There's a scenario where Burrow just doesn't work out. One thing on Queen and Alaire that you gotta love too, and uh, Delp would not fall into this, is that they're fresh. That's what's so crazy is that That's their really usage rates weren't wild in college, and also, yet they Queen's still only managed 20. to be first round picks. Wow, Queen's only twenty. Yeah, until I think August. Yeah. What the hell, dude? How are you supposed to be twenty-one playing against NFL players? Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah maybe so. Patrick Queen is the answer then. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, yeah. So shout out to all the LSU players, though, man. Congrats to everybody, friends, family. Fourteen guys, ten in the first three rounds, and now it definitely to me feels like the final. You know how like Return of the King has like four different endings. Yes. This is when, like, this is even after Frodo has gotten on the boat with Bilbo and Gandalf and the rest of the ring bearers to go to Valinor. This is like when Sam returns home to Rosie and the kids and he closes the book. This is the final, final ending of the 2019 team. This is the official closing of the book. All of the players that you fell in love with during this fever dream of the season have gone on. And they have now ascended to Valhalla. Their next challenge begins. And, uh, and and the LSU football program has to get back to work. And now in this crazy age of the pandemic, like where you can't actually practice, they have to find a way to replace 14 draft picks. Oof. It's going to be tough. And that's the perfect place to end our show. So I uh, hope everybody has a great week. Uh, thank you again for all the kind words on um, the birth of my child. It's awesome. Again, shout out to Women's Hospital. Buy your meats from Bear Specialty Meats on Jefferson Holly, Bocage, and Baton Rouge. Uh, subscribe to The Athletic, athletic.com slash all that podcast. Catch all of Brody's work there. It is fantastic. And then listen to Off the Bench on 104.5. Thank you to John Hayes for producing and to everybody who listens. If you like it, share it, review it. And we'll be back next week with a brand new Hold That Podcast podcast. Take it easy, y'all.